Welcome to Just To Be Nominated, normally a lighthearted prediction podcast for Oscar season, but it's taken a turn uh, with the death of Riley Audrey that's kind of shaken Hollywood to its core. Um, I'm your host, Terry McPherson. And I'm your co-host, Leo Gold. Kind of a a different type of episode today. The mood has definitely Uh shifted, hasn't it? (laughs) It's a bit of a a bit noir. Yeah. Pretty surreal. And, you know, having been so close to Riley the past year, really, her and her team for the film and other people nominated, I know that it's it's a preliminary suicide. I know that the, the police have called this a suicide. For the past few days, we've all seen the paparazzi and tabloid shots outside the police department downtown. And it's quite the lineup of people that they apparently have called in to give their statements. Now, we all know they declared Riley's death a suicide, but this really made us think there's something else to it. This seems like a suspect lineup to me. We don't have access to those statements. However, we have our own tapes with almost the exact same group of people that the police called. All those interviews we did throughout the season. So, I say we give it a listen. Try to draw our own conclusions. Don't you agree? Something doesn't quite add up here. I mean, I, we we can never know fully what goes on in someone's head and what their experience is. But I, I, I think at the very least, we can take a look at the interviews that we've done over the past year. And the interviews we were able to do outside of the Oscar after party, right outside the elevators. Um, and and just try to get a better sense of what really happened that night uh, and where everyone was and where everyone wasn't. If nothing else, we hope to use the access that we've had to sort of clear up some misconceptions and, and maybe get a clearer sense of what really happened that night. I've heard that apparently there's no surveillance from the floor Riley is staying on. You know, all, all these actors and everything get their own room. No cameras were on on her floor. Yeah. And and I don't know. I mean, it seems like every Marriott Best Western has a camera on every floor. And uh, uh, so we can see people go up. We can see people come down. We can see people exit the elevators. Uh, but we can't see what actually happened on that floor. And we know there's no camera footage from that floor because you were flirting with that hotel manager. Surely you remember that. Yeah. We had the best location. We were situated with a clear view of the entrance. You know, we did it so people would have to come talk to us, basically. But we got to see everyone coming and going throughout the night. I had my wits about me. I I didn't drink that night, you know, and I, I just remember everything pretty clearly. Right. We saw the year in Stockholm team arrive together in the lobby and they seemed uh, unhappy would be putting it way too mildly. They had that one last powwow. Riley went upstairs and she never came back down. So this first week, you know, we're going to start to break down, I guess I'm going to use the word suspects, assuming this is a murder, you know, and there is no one who's been charged with this. Everyone we came in contact with that night is a potential suspect. We are going to take a look at some of the key players from that night and see if we can figure out, you know, what really happened. You know, and Beth's compiled a lot of audio for us. Painstakingly. I mean, Beth has been, I I don't think she's slept in the past week. Beth, you look absolutely terrible. You look sick. And I thank you for that. We have all of this footage, literally hours of interviews, and we have not listened to them. Beth has put them together in a way that works chronologically. So we're going to be discovering this kind of together as we go along. But today's episode is, we're going to focus on Christine Vanderpool. 
everyone knows Christine Vanderpool. That this, you know, was her eighth nomination, eighth loss. You know, she was up for Sonnet 44, which a role she originated on Broadway. She had lost that night, so let's see what we can find out. Listen to the way she talks about herself and her roles. She barely even acknowledges that there's anything else going on around her. But yeah, let's go Let's go to the clip. So Beth, um, I don't know if you have like some old 8-track player or how you do this. Probably just a GarageBand file. Um... Christine Vanderpool, thank you so much for sitting down with Just To Be Nominated. We just want to say we love this film. And so can you just tell us a little bit about what the process was like for you? Sonnet 44, a one-woman exploration of poetry and cancer. I uh, did this uh, many times on stage to multiple reactions. And, of course, as you know, I won the Tony for it. And that was, oh, God, that was a wild night. Alice Ripley and I did Goldschlager for the first time. Way too much. <laughs> I actually saw that production when I was very young. I, I forced my, I don't, I don't mean to fangirl right now, but I f- <sighs> basically forced my mom to drive me in from Pittsburgh oh. to see that production. I was 11 years old. <laughs> Oh, wasn't it wonderful? Weren't I marvelous? You were. You were stunning. I play a woman, a poetess, who uh, discovers that she has a very rare form of cancer. It's hair cancer. It was just all over her hair, and she loved her hair. It was the greatest thing about her. Uh, other than her poetry and her story. She was known for her sonnets, uh, not unlike Shakespeare, or, uh, you know, um, Percy Shelley, or, you know, Dryden. Uh, lots of poets I could name. <laughs> we only have so much time. <laughs> but this woman, she had 43 sonnets in her that she wrote cancer-free. And when it was time to write Sonnet 44, the cancer crept into her hair at at such an alarming rate that the play is about just trying to get it written, you know? It's a battle of the wits. Um, Anyway, it was was wildly received. Jonathan Lasseter, a producer I trust implicitly, and there are very few people in this business I trust, came to me and said he'd like to turn this into a film. I said, naturally, it's very filmable. But I I said, you know, cast some people, hire some people. And I do not remember any of their names, but they were there were other people in the film. It was grueling emotionally. Uh, the poetry this woman wrote was was it was difficult, very difficult rhythms. And you were also at the time you had cancer yourself through, yes. through a portion of these stage performances. Yes. Well, I I take on every role uh, fully. I believe that my my talent created my own hair cancer. Tricky thing is that the hair cancer that I had in in real life was different from the hair cancer that I had as the character. So it was a constant uh, battle every morning of what's, you know, what's art and what's life, you know. And I do just want to say, I I do just want to address it. I 100% believe that you had cancer. Thank you. And I think it's a nasty rumor out there. Jeremy Piven went through this same bit of business. People don't believe when actors get sick. Uh, People don't believe women. And I believe you. And they don't believe the Pivens. They don't believe any of the Pivens either. This business is very anti-Piven. But thank you. I appreciate your support because I I had to constantly turn in so many uh, medical files and doctor's notes, prescriptions for everything. This is your 
eighth nomination. Yes. yes. <laughs> you have such an eclectic body of work, but of the eight nominations, do you have a favorite so far? Yes. I was nominated for, of course, for Whispers and Shadows, uh, where I played Mathilde, the wet nurse. Very mixed reviewed film. It was different lengths uh, every time audiences watched it. They gave different cuts to different movie theaters, so audiences never really knew how to plan their days. Can I say, though, me and my friends, we just love this film. We are constantly um, coming out to each other, I mean, Terry and I, and we'll just be like, are you going to clean that up? And, I mean, such an iconic... <laughs> yeah. I actually went to a screening at the Ace uh, downtown in, in L.A., and every... It was all gay guys. We were all just saying all the lines. Uh, I love that you quote, are you going to clean that up? I improvised that. Uh, that was not actually in the script, but it seemed like something the wet nurse would say. It was a very long time ago. If you haven't seen it by now, then you're not an artist. But of course, I was also, I was nominated for Waste Not, Want Not, the acerbic comedy where I played a divorcee alcoholic, daytime comedian, Brangeline Dugway. There was Hornet Beach, where I played the mayor's wife, Rampant Dignity, where I, of course, played Carol, the neighbor, who knew everyone's secrets. But the twist was that no one knew that she had botulism. You know, you never know. When you take projects, you take the project, you take the work. There's a an up-and-coming comedian named Adam Sandler. So I did do an Adam Sandler film called Fart Village, and I played Queen Queef. And, you know, not on my best work. I will say I was terrible in that role. I didn't understand the comedy. I kept pausing because I just didn't understand any of the jokes. But that same year, I got an Oscar nomination for Helen's Porch Full of Miracles, in which, of course, you know, I played Joyce who was struck by lightning in the middle of the day and she realized that she's a star. I like things you weren't nominated for, uh, that sci-fi thriller Blood on Mars. I played Pluta, uh, who was half rock. I had to remember what part of my body was rock and what part was, uh, you know, sentient and living and breathing. Well, I thought the performance was beautiful and when you, when you hurled yourself through that glass door, I really did that. Every take, I did it every take. I refuse stunt people. I, first of all, I don't enjoy them. They're weirdos. I don't trust them. I don't want them wearing my clothes. I do all my own stunts. I was in the hospital for three months after that film because I kept throwing my body through that glass wall. But it was worth it. Everyone enjoyed it. And it, it truly prepared you for your following film, Scar Tissue. Yes. Luckily, I, I, I could use all of my scars. I also, I don't believe in any sort of makeup or prosthetics. I say, roll, print, tape, let's do it. Have you seen any of the other films by chance? Of course. I watch every film. I've seen every film uh, that's ever been made. So, yes, um, I watch every film that I'm not in with a sort of a displeasure and a dissatisfaction. Understandable, understandable. Uh, any of the other nominees? How did you feel about uh, Meryl? Again, we have read that this might be a little bit of a sore subject for you. Listen, I'm look, Meryl and I were in a, a gifting suite uh, when, when she was doing a cry in the dark, and I was doing Fifi, Fifi, and Meryl stole a pair of ermine boots that I wanted so badly. They looked really nice against my legs. No one looks at Meryl's legs. She wears sacks to these award shows. She doesn't care what she looks like, but she got those ermine boots. Do you know how many ermines had to die so that Meryl could stomp around in them? And they probably are just sitting in her closet somewhere, you know, that her painter husband also never looks at. But I could have worn them everywhere. And uh, for that, I will not uh, support. I'm, I can't say that I'm a fan, but I wish her well. Christine, what's your favorite 
Oscar memory. I wrestled with Halle Berry in the, in the fondue fountain. We both were having a wild time. We couldn't stop laughing. It was interpreted in the media that we were enemies and we hated each other, but we were giggling under those rivers of, of fudge and cream and everything else. But Frances McDormand wagged her finger at us and said, yeah, I'm trying to dip my strawberry in something that doesn't have your DNA on it or something. I couldn't remember what she was saying. She was in jeans. Well, Christine, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I guess before we let you go, do you have any prediction for how Oscar night's going to go? Well, let's just say I'll be wearing a gown made by my mother. My mother was a, was a seamstress at the Candleflick Dinner Players, where I got my start. As a young child, I was in the shop, and so it will mean a lot to me, and it will be very deeply disappointing uh, if the Academy doesn't recognize me on the stage and my dress. The real question would be, if you do win, how are you going to follow up that SAG speech? I mean, it was truly spectacular. I was crying. Well, I'll try not to talk so much about SeaWorld and my very controversial opinions about the dolphins. But no promises, because I hear there's, there's free reuniti at the Oscars. So once I've had a little bit of the vino, the lips get loose. Well, thank you so much. I, I mean, I could do this all day. <laughs> oh, me as well, me as well. It was so nice to meet you gays. To sit down with, across from a legend like oh, that is such absolutely. a gift. absolutely. An honor, you know. Um, I just, I guess we should just dive right in. Like, what jumps out right to me is that she seems very sure of herself, you know, very disconnected from the race almost like she's not seeing any of these other movies like if she was going to win this was gonna be her year to win christine barely mentioned riley <laughs> you can feel however that she was convinced this was going to happen she for had her blinders on nothing and no one else mattered around her but the question is does that drive you to kill somebody you know yeah uh, it's a good question. I mean, this is somebody who has been up for this role eight times. She's clearly been robbed before. And some might say this year was robbed as well. You know, the thing with actresses is you never know where they are mentally that day, what pills they've been taking, um, if they've eaten anything. And I love her. She's one of our greatest talents. But there's definitely a disconnect from reality there. Sure. If someone told me tomorrow that Christine Vanderpool killed a background actor for stealing her charger i'd be like yeah okay that checks out if someone told me that christine vanderpool didn't know what a charger was also, i would believe that and she's also method as she mentioned and who knows if doing this movie again ha has given her some sort of terminal cancer sure. all of a sudden the stakes become incredibly high you know she'll never have another shot she's not this. carol in hornet beach no, I mean, that was such a young performance, too. She had her whole career ahead of her. And sometimes in these sort of twilight performances, there can be a bit of desperation. And so the, the next clip we have is actually our interview with Christine the night of the incident. Yeah, she had just lost <sighs> uh, for the eighth in time. This, I'm most interested about the friendship she started with another nominee and their whereabouts throughout the night. I mean, it was an unlikely friendship, to say the least. Beth, let's give the people what they want. Oh, hello, boys. Christine Vanderpool, thank you for sitting down with us again. How are you feeling? Oh, well, my hands are empty. <laughs> but uh, my shoes are full. My feet are very, very thick. 
in these heels. Beth, can we get her maybe like a little stool to put an ice pack up? or so maybe just like some Vaseline that I can rub around the edges. But here we are, Oscars. Yeah, the <laughs> night did not go as we had hoped for you. Have you spoken to Riley? Like, have you spoken to any of the other nominees? Uh, Riley? I know I have not. Look, she's who she is, right? But I will tell you that I've had a great evening with Dina Reyes. We couldn't help but notice on the red carpet that that reporter was being a little kind of fresh with you, a little uh, inappropriate, and Dina really stepped in. Well, she asked a question. She said, are you happy for Riley Audrey? And honestly, there were so many things other than yes that I were about to come out of my mouth that I just got a total gridlock where all words and thoughts stopped I, I left my body and in this moment Dina Reyes the pop star sensation came right in and she threw her finger up at the camera and she said this is a legend and don't ask her any more of these questions unless it's about her career and then she snapped and really hard against my eardrum and uh, she pulled me away she saved me in that moment and went you know that's a Hollywood pal for you <laughs> Plus, she's exotic. Um, I guess I should ask a question. Uh, th this is your girl, Leo. I've never seen you so, like, out of it. Hey, did you, hey, listen, did you lose an Oscar tonight or did I? <laughs> yeah, you know what's that glum? I think I just kind of lost my career this year, but I'm bringing it back. <laughs> I know what that's like. Uh, speaking of bringing it back, you know, what can we expect from you? Anything coming out this year we can look forward to? I've, I've done several readings. Uh, uh, readings of Edward II, Troilus and Cressida, first folio. So it's, it's, about, it's about six hours. Um, so I think that'll be a real hit. Dina said she can't wait to watch it. So if Dina Reyes likes it and gets the kids on board, then I'm back in business. See you here next year. <laughs> I will arrive very hungover to work in the morning. Sorry, producers. <laughs> wow, they really scheduled you to work the day after the Oscars. 5 a.m. 5 a.m. call. But I give myself a scalding ice bath and, and I scrub every fiber of my being. So that's what I have to look forward to. Well, you have mere hours to get into that scalding bath. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Any chance you might work with Dinah in the future? Oh, I can't wait. I hope we, we are friends forever. We've been friends for several hours, which in Hollywood years is about 12 years. I'll do anything she wants me to do. All right, Christine, well, we'll let you go and enjoy the rest of the night. I think that's it. So uh, thanks so much, and Beth will take your mic. <laughs> oh, Hugh Jackman! Hey! Oh, I played his mother. He doesn't remember. Wow, that was uh, such a trippy... What that a night. A... Yeah, I mean, you can definitely feel um, some disappointment. Sure. And also wild abandon. She, she was letting loose, you know, if I had to say anything. That is why I love these Oscar post-interviews. I mean, you get the inside look. You get the scoop. It's the only time you're going to talk to Daniel Radcliffe while he's microdosing shrooms. You know, <laughs> right. it's like... Uh-huh. But I will say the most fascinating part of Christine's interview, her new friendship with Dinah, which was so unlikely. You know, I don't think Christine could have picked Dinah out of a lineup before Dinah saved the day on the red carpet. Oh, right. That interviewer asked such a rude question to Christine, you know, saying, how do you feel about this being potentially your last chance? Your, your last year? Yeah. Who says that to someone? This industry is so ageist. Oh. 
beyond. I blocked that guy on Twitter. Good. He doesn't deserve your time. And Dinah came to her defense, I mean, uh, almost violently. And, you know, some might say that that's sort of her, uh, her nature. You could see the flame in both their eyes for sure. Christine and Dinah became inseparable. They were getting food. She tried to make Dinah do a keg stand at one point, which was clumsy, you know, at best. We, we had eyes on them all night, except for one hour when they went upstairs. And when they came back, they, uh, I don't want to point fingers. They seemed like they had a good time upstairs. They seemed a little out of it. And we, we talked to Dinah later. And I remember Dinah was stony baloney. Dinah was high higher than the interest rates on my student loans her her eyes i've never seen eyes redder i mean these are two oscar sorry but losers that disappeared for an entire hour we saw them go upstairs there's no footage of them so we assume it was the same floor as riley so i mean were they just sharing a a a harmless little joint in the room or were they killing Riley Audrey you know like listen I don't want to be like reefer madness in the 50s and say that like smoking a joint leads you to murder somebody because that's very McCarthy but you know who knows if they were in full capacity of their choices I feel like what we're missing here now is Dinah's perspective of the evening so please stay tuned because next episode we are going to see the evening from Dinah's point of view Well, again, I've been Terry McPherson. I've been Leo Gold. This is Just to be Nominated from Hollywood Magazine. Be sure to tune in for next week's episode. Bath my foot's asleep. Hello, this is Jorge Molina, creator of Just to be Nominated. This podcast is a Kingdom of Pavement production. This episode, Christine Vanderpoel, was written, directed, and produced by me, Jorge Molina. I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at ColorMeJorge. This episode was executive produced by Amy Sudo and Kyle Cords. Alexi Gonzalez is our editorial consultant. Ariana Coyle is our assembly cut editor. Andrew Campbell is our lead sound designer. Music by Jordan Bennett, who can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Music. Graphics by Brendan Haley, who can be found on Instagram at Haley Doodles. Terry is voiced by Zach Noe Towers, who can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Zach Noe Towers. Leo is voiced by Brendan Scannell, who can be found on Instagram at Bscan. Christine Vanderpoel is voiced by Drew Drogi, who can be found on Instagram at Drew underscore Drogi. Special thanks to the Orphanage Collective for lending their thoughts and suggestions, to our assistant Michelle Lynn and the rest of our Kingdom of Pavement team. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's extremely helpful, especially in these early weeks. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at JTBN Podcast to stay updated on the latest news and find clues related to the case. Until next week, it's been an honor just to be nominated. Yeah.